0: Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who He is, and what He's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. This is going to be our third episode exploring the book of Judges. Our third theme in the book of Judges is this. The author of Judges described the moral failure of the Judges and the need for a virtuous, righteous king. So, Much like we've seen a downward spiral with morality and a downward spiral with idolatry, we're going to see another downward spiral in the book of Judges. Now, if there's a downward spiral, there probably has to be a high point. And so we're going to talk today about the high point of leadership in the book of Judges and the downward spiral that comes after it. Like we've seen before, Caleb and Othniel— these two men mentioned at the very beginning of the book of Judges. They are, in some ways, the high point of the book of Judges when it comes to virtuous character in leaders. So, for example, in Judges 1, 10 through 13, we read that Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now, the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Shishai and Ahaman and Talmai. From there, they went out against the inhabitants of Debor. The name of Debor was formerly Kiriath-sephir. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath-sephir and captures it, I will give him Axah my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Axah his daughter, for a wife. Now we read in the book of Joshua how even though Caleb is an older man, around 100 years old, he is fearlessly leading the troops out into battle, trusting in Yahweh. He tells Joshua, let me go up. Let my people come up with me. We're going to go first. God is with me. I don't care how old I am. And then we read about Othniel, this man who marries Caleb's daughter. He also gets the chance to lead the people of Israel in Judges 3, 7 through 11. That so the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. I got to tell you this. That's probably my favorite name in all the Bible. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that name, Cushan-Rishathaim, what a name. And the people of Israel served Cushan rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan rishathaim king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan rishathaim So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Both of these men win victories through fearless leadership and unhesitating faith in Yahweh. And you notice what these stories don't include. There's no idolatry. There's no abuse of others. There's no hesitation to obey. Both of these men deliver the nation through faith in Yahweh and obedience to his commands, something that can only be said of these two and perhaps of Ehud, the third judge recorded. But after these three men, each judge gets progressively worse, so let's trace this downward spiral of leadership. The next judge we meet is a man named Barak, who though he is guaranteed victory by a prophet of the Lord, he refuses to go out to battle unless the prophet, a woman named Deborah, goes with him. We then meet a man named Gideon. Gideon asks for about a trillion signs. this If you ever heard someone talk about putting out a fleece, that's usually said in some manner of like, oh, that's how you make decisions. But Gideon is put forward as an example of what not to do, as he's asking for sign after sign after sign because he's just scared and doesn't trust the Lord. After Gideon wins the battle, he then builds a harem and has many different wives and many different sons, and then he uses the material wealth he's gained by being the leader of Israel and builds an idol which leads all of his family and all of Israel into idolatry. After him, we have one of his sons, Ahimelech, who's not truly a judge, but in many ways is the worst character in the entire book. As Ahimelech conspires with some of his relatives and kills all of his brothers, about 70 men. He kills his brothers, and he rules over his tribe and clan with brutality and violence. After him, we meet Jephthah. Jephthah vows to sacrifice to Yahweh whatever or whoever walks out of his front door after winning a victory, and he ends up killing his daughter and offering her as a human sacrifice to Yahweh. We then meet Samson, who is an utter fool. He is a drunk, he's lustful, and he desires revenge. What's interesting about Samson's story is it says multiple times in his account that Samson did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, she looks good. She is good in my eyes. This is right in my eyes. And in a picture of poetic justice, when the Philistines capture Samson, they put out his eyes. And as Samson is being paraded in front of the Philistine nobility, he cries out to Yahweh and asks for help, but notice what his motivation is. Judges 16, 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He's not asking for God to help him so that God can be glorified or so that God's people can be delivered, but simply for petty personal revenge. Contrast that with the godly king that we're going to meet in the next book, the book of Samuel. King David. And when King David hears Goliath, the Philistine, talking trash about Israel and Israel's God, it says in 1 Samuel 17, 26, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Samson's motivation is his own lust, his own revenge. David's motivation is the honor of Yahweh. The last two stories in the book, the story of Micah and his idol, and the story of the sexual abuse and civil war that happens in the tribe of Benjamin, they show Israel and its leadership hitting absolute rock bottom. The author draws your attention to this rock bottom condition by repeating this refrain, Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's not just that there's no king. That's bad enough. It's that there's no godly, virtuous king. So the first of these two stories is about a man named Micah. And this is one of those stories where, if you really think about it, it's just so incredibly shocking from the very beginning. I want you to count the number of Ten Commandments that we break in one paragraph. Judges seventeen one through 5. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. So Micah has stolen a large amount of money from his own mother. So there's two commandments broken. And his mother calls down a curse on whoever took this silver. So Micah gets nervous. And so he gives it back to his mother. And his mother says to him, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So his mother is so confused and so far away from true worship of Yahweh that she thinks a good idea is to take this 1,100 pieces of silver that she's dedicated to the Lord and make an idol as a gift for her son. It's pretty bad. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Now you'll find out later in this chapter that this is happening within about a hundred years of the death of Moses. This isn't happening after the people have been in the promised land for a really long time. One of the men who are going to come into this story is going to be Moses' grandson. So this is happening within a century of the people getting into the promised land. That's how bad things have already gotten. And you ask yourself, how could it get this bad this fast? And the author tells you in the next verse, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The last story shows what Israel has become without a godly king to rule over them. And what they have become is a people brutal and violent and cruel and foolish, just as bad as the Canaanites, just as bad as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll let you read the story for yourself. It is very disturbing. But a man and his concubine go into a city, a city of the Benjaminites. That's one of the tribes of Israel. And there they are surrounded, once they've taken refuge in someone's house, and the men of the city, these are Israelite men, bang on the door and demand that the host send the stranger out into their midst, this man. They want this man to come out to the midst so that they can sexually abuse the man. And to avert that fate, the man and the host shove the stranger's concubine out and she is sexually abused and murdered. Now, you would think that that would be a shocking event in Israel. But the people of Benjamin do not turn over these murderers to face justice. Instead, they rally around them and a civil war breaks out where thousands of Israelites are killed and the tribe of Benjamin is almost entirely wiped out. And you get the sense that all of these stories could have been averted if just one godly person would have led the people back to Yahweh. That's why the author keeps telling you, there's no king, there's no king. We just need one godly leader, but we can't find not even one. The next book, In this story, the story of Samuel shows what happens when a godly king leads Israel, as King David is going to be, by and large, the king that his people need. But even that godly king is flawed, and David, as great as he is, is a sinner, and he needs God's grace. And David's primary role is to point us to Jesus, the ultimate king who is going to lead his people into righteousness. So friends, next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to look at how Israel's sin just makes Yahweh's faithfulness shine that much brighter. But for now, take up and read. God bless.